focus in on is the incredible work that the Kenya team is doing in the midst of Kenya. 2,000 water filters have been distributed. That is unbelievable. And that, that may, yes, please give it up for that. That is incredible. That may not hit us fully in America where we can get filtered water from a Brita filter in a tap, but over in Kenya where people do not have access to clean water, that is life-changing. It was incredible. I got to go last year and experience that and see how amazing it is that just a simple thing that costs about around $30 can completely change people's lives. But they keep up with the people that they give water filters to, and it's amazing to see how just simply giving a person a water filter can radically change their lives. They saw an increase in their salaries and their incomes because they're not spending money on things to uh, get rid of the diseases caused by unfiltered water. They are experiencing uh, growth in their business businesses. There's a guy who had a barbershop that had the water filter at his barbershop. He saw more people come to them because they wanted to have the clean water. So these things are life-changing. It is incredible to see the amazing work that our Kenya team is doing. So please continue to keep them in their prayers. They're now moving over to Gichuamba and keep up with their blog. Jim Hall does an amazing job with that. Uh, so moving on, we uh, are in the midst of our series on faith, hope, and love. Uh, last week. These things are called the three pillars of the Christian church. They are one of the most important virtues that we need to have in the midst of our Christian lives. Last week we talked about faith and we noticed that God calls us to a life of faith and not of fear. If we are honest and we realize the subconscious motivations, we can sometimes see that a lot of times a lot of our actions are motivated by fear rather than faith. And faith, we defined last week, is getting our eyes off of our circumstances, off of our failures, off of our shortcomings, our insecurities, getting them onto Christ who is able to overcome them. So yeah, our failures are real, our circumstances are scary, but our Savior is strong. And so if we fix our eyes on Him, it's incredible to see the work that our Father can do. And so now we're going to be moving on to hope. And so hope is kind of going to be the middle part of our series. And so if you will pray with me, uh, we're going to dive into what the Lord has kind of prepared for us today. So let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for hope. I thank you that we can have hope because of your son, Jesus. I thank you that you exist, that you reward those who seek you. I thank you so much for the incredible work that you are doing in Kenya, Lord. And I pray that, that you continue with that. Help us to understand the hope that you have given us and help us to apply that practically into our lives, Lord. May your words speak to us today. Again, may these be your words and not mine. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. So... If you look up the simple definition in the dictionary on hope, it's going to tell you that hope is to want something to happen or be true. Hope is this desire to want something to happen or to be true. Most of the time, it's positive. And so hope is a word that we see thrown around a lot in our lives. If you go to a concert, uh, you hope that that band would play the certain song that you like. If you are an Eagles fan, you hope that they're going to do well next season. If you've been keeping up with the 76ers, we really hope that we can trust the process. Fingers crossed on that. Uh, if you go to the beach over the weekend, you might hope that the weather would be nice. That way you can enjoy it. I know for our pastor Josh, he's really hoping that the next Batman movie is going to be good. And so uh, for me, as a teenager, there was a lot of girls in high school that I really hoped would like me. 
Uh, hope deferred is a very difficult thing. But anyway, um, so these are all nice things in the ways that we see hope come into our lives. And while this is a nice part of hope and it's a nice thing to ha- include in our lives, this is not the hope that I want to talk about today. Uh, today I want us to talk about biblical hope. And you'll notice as we kind of go along and we find, understand the biblical definition of hope that this is a lot different than the hope that we encounter on a day-to-day basis. And before I give that full definition that was going to happen on later in this sermon, I want to make a few observations about hope before uh, we get to that. So, hope is described in Scripture as the anchor of our souls. And I thought that was really cool, and there was a part of me that wanted to make the nautical metaphor work for faith, hope, and love. And so I was like, okay, if hope is the anchor, then maybe love is the boat, and, and faith is the chain that links, and maybe God's the ocean. And I, I kind of got lost with it. It got a little bit too complex, so I threw it out the window. But hope is seen in Scripture as the anchor of our souls. And I believe uh, that one of the reasons that hope is depicted as an anchor is because hope is what holds us steady when the storms of life come. Hope is what we hold on to, what holds us steady when the storms of life come. And so the storms of life are the difficulties you experience, people get sick, uh, uh, maybe loved ones may pass away, we may experience uh, uh, some people suing us, whatever it is, the tribulations that come or the difficulties that come, it is hope that we need to cling to in those times. And one of the things that you will notice about hope is that it often appears in the midst of these difficult times. People look for hope when things are going crazy, when things are going wrong. And we see this all over the place. All of our favorite stories and all of our favorite movies, you'll notice that a lot of times there's a scene where it seems like the bad guys are winning, everything's going wrong, and that there's just no hope left. But then suddenly the hero comes out of nowhere, and he brings hope, and good wins out, and evil loses, and good wins the day. We see these all over the place in movies. One of the first examples that I thought of that I think everyone can relate to is the first episode of Star Wars that came out was literally called Star Wars A New Hope. And so, you know, the Empire and Darth Vader and all the crazy characters, all the darkness is spreading across the galaxy, but then hope appears in the form of Luke Skywalker and he ultimately wins the day. Sorry, spoiler alert. But hope is seen in these places. Another really cool place that we see hope is in actual life. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever been able to go to D.C. to see some of the monuments, but one of my favorite ones down there is actually one that they recently put in, and it's the Martin Luther King Jr. monument. Has anyone seen that one? It is incredible. And so what they have is there's this stone mountain that they built, and they take a slab and they cut it out of it, and there's a statue of Martin Luther King on it. And what it is based on is this iconic line from his iconic speech, I Have a Dream. And the quote is, that out of the mountain of despair, a stone of hope came. And so he's talking about his dream for racism ending in America, where black girls and white girls can join together and live in harmony. And he's saying that we have created this mountain of despair with the racism, but there is a stone of hope that is moving. And it's amazing to see more and more Martin Luther King Jr.'s hope and vision come into fruition. Uh, I can't have a sermon on hope without talking about Hope Community Church. For those of you that know, one of the reasons what we have the name Hope is that a lot, of, a lot of tragedies were happening in this area. And that was one of the th- reasons why Pastor Josh and the board that planted this church wanted to bring the hope of Christ into this neighborhood was because there was a lot of difficult things going on and they wanted to bring the hope of the gospel to this community. And so here we are five years later continuing to preach about the hope that is in Christ. 
And so we love these stories. We love seeing hope come in the midst of difficult situations. And so one of the passages that we're looking at today is one of these such stories. We are looking at two people in desperate situations, very difficult situations. And before we dive in and read kind of the first part of what I want us to look at today, I want to give us a little bit of context. So here in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry. He's been healing people. He's been casting out demons. He's been teaching some really incredible things about God's love for humanity. And he's making quite a name for himself. A lot of people are hearing the name of Jesus and a lot of people are coming to him and there's a bunch of crowds that are following him. And so uh, we pick up with two of these people that are in desperate situations that seek out Jesus. So if you will read with me, we're going to start in verse chapter 40. Uh, and so here we go. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And so here we see two people in very desperate and difficult circumstances. One thing that I think is really important for us to notice about this passage is that the storms of life, the difficulties of life, can often destroy our hope. Looking at the story and the reasons why these people came to Jesus, they realized that all their hope in this life was gone. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. This man has connections, this man has power, this man has money, but none of that was enough to save his daughter who was dying. We see this woman who's poor, and the reason that she's poor is because she has spent all of her money trying to cure this disease that has been with her for 12 years. And after spending all of her money on all these doctors and all these physicians, she is still left in this hopeless situation. And so this, these are the reasons why these people are pursuing Jesus. And I think it's even more intense to note the desperation of especially this woman's situation because for those of us that, I guess, are aware with uh, what's going on with her in Leviticus, because of her disease, she was actually ceremonially unclean. And so she would have been an outcast in her day. She wouldn't have had any friends. She wouldn't have had anyone around her because people wouldn't want to touch her because she was ceremonially unclean. And so it was actually very dangerous for her to be walking in the crowd and touching all these people because there were so many people around them because she could easily be punished for what she was doing. And so here we see people that are in hopeless situations. Both of them sought Jesus out of desperation. And they had no hope left in this world. And I think if we're honest, I don't think any of us hopefully have experienced what these people are experiencing, but a lot of times we can feel the way these people are feeling. Where so many things are going on in this life, so many crazy things are attacking us left and right, that we just feel as if one more bad thing would happen, we would just break. That if one more thing gets piled onto our back, we are just going to crack under the pressure. And so I believe that we can look at these situations and kind of empathize with their hopelessness because some of us may have been in situations where the storms of this life have gotten the better of us. Because a lot of people look to hope 
into their storms of life, but a lot of times the storms become too much that we lose hope. And so I think a lot of times we can empathize with these people. But thankfully the story doesn't end for them today and the story doesn't end for us today, which is really, really incredible. So let's turn back to this narrative and see where we need to place our hope, see what happens when these people meet Jesus. So we just had the woman, or man, Jairus came to Jesus and he said, hey, can you come with me? And so on that way, the woman came and she touched her, she touched her hand to Jesus' cloak. And so uh, verse 44, it says, she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowds around you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Now, real quick, we need to pause and recognize how dangerous that was for her to admit why she had come to those people. Because when she realized that it was because of her disease that she came to touch Jesus and because of her ceremonially uncleanliness, she made everyone else in her vicinity that she touched or brushed along the way ceremonially unclean. And so for her to come and admit like, hey, this is where I was, but this is what Jesus did to bring me out of it was a huge deal. And so Jesus responds, and easily he could have responded with condemnation for doing that and putting the, all these people in danger. But here Jesus responds and says, And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And so this woman, who was in a hopeless situation, experienced hope and healing when she pursued after Jesus. That is unbelievable. And the narrative continues with the story of Jairus' daughter. Verse 48. Or 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead, do not trouble the teacher anymore. And so basically, the, Jairus' daughter had died and they believed that all hope was lost. There was no way that Jesus could do anything. But Jesus, on hearing this answer, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning on her, for her. But, she said, but he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So this is a crazy story. That literally Jesus performs a miracle while he's walking to perform another miracle. And this is the type of person that Jesus is. We look at this situation. This man's daughter was dead. This woman had experienced this disease for over 12 years. And then after one encounter with Jesus, everything changed. I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again. Truly, I believe this. God's presence in our lives changes everything. Here we see Jesus as offering hope in hopeless situation. Jesus offers hope 
in hopeless situations. These people had no hope at all, absolutely no way that they could be healed, absolutely no way that this daughter could be brought back from the dead. But here Jesus comes in and changes everything. Now I want to take a moment to address something very important. This passage is not saying that if we follow Jesus, he's going to heal all our diseases and everything's going to be fine and everything's going to be okay. This is not what this passage is saying. Now, don't get me wrong, I truly still believe that God still miraculously heals. In fact, actually, was anyone able to go to Sizzling Summer last Wednesday at uh, Calvary Chapel? Okay, my parents were, that's awesome. <laughs> this is actually where I got this story. At Calvary Chapel, there was a man, uh, he was a pastor in Philadelphia, and he told this incredible story where he actually was diagnosed with cancer. And he asked his church to pray for him every single Wednesday. He goes in to have surgery on uh, his cancer, to have the cancer removed. And he wakes up from the anesthesia. And the doctor said, so we didn't actually perform surgery because we went in there and we couldn't find any cancer. There was another incredible story uh, that actually, down at Liberty, we have this thing called the Worship Collective. They're our worship band, and they are amazing. And one of the girls that plays, I think the mandolin, she told us her testimony the one day. When she was born, she actually had a disease that caused her hearing to slowly lose uh, itself over, like I think by the time she would have been 12 to 15, she would have lost all of her hearing. And so the people, her, 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 uh, her dad was a pastor, and all the people, all the elders of the church did what it said in James, and they gathered around her, they anointed her with oil, they prayed over her, which it seems very like barbaic, seems like, okay, there's no, absolutely no way that that would work. They anointed her with oil, they prayed over her, and as they drove home, she felt her hearing come back. One more story just because these are really incredible. I actually took a class with a bunch of pastors on the life of Christ. And we were talking about Jesus' healing ministry. And we we're trying to figure out, does healing still happen today? And in fact, one of the pastors shared this story where this woman came in. She was not a believer, but she uh, was a single mom of three. And she had a job as a waitress. And she had just broken her foot, which means she couldn't do her job as a waitress. And so she was terrified that her daughter and son were going, to saw, were going to starve because she couldn't provide for them. And so she came to, hope, to, she came to the church looking for hope. She came up to the pastor at the end of the sermon and said, hey, my foot's broken. Could you pray over it for healing? And he goes, uh, like, okay, like, let's go. And so he prayed over it. The woman comes back the next week and she said, I left church and I went to the grocery store to spend the last of my money on the week's worth of food that we were going to have. And as I was walking into church, she had her crutches on and she had her leg in a cast. She stepped on the curb. She felt warmth run through her leg and her leg was completely healed. And so I truly believe that God still heals today. But I also recognize that that is not all of our experiences. A lot of us have suffered greatly. Loved ones have been taken from us. We have experienced disease. Maybe some of you guys are still experiencing some today. And that may cause you to question why. I was debating about whether I was going to share this or not, but I think that I really do want to share this. In the midst of trials, in the midst of difficulties, when we hear stories of people being healed by God, but we are in the midst of a trial and it doesn't seem like it's going to end, a lot of times, especially with the cards that were dealt by life, we want to ask God the question, why? Why would you allow this to happen? Why did this happen to me? 
And to be honest, I think there may not be a satisfactory answer on this side of eternity. We may ask why we go through the things that we go through. We may ask why God allows the things to happen that he allows to happen. And we may not come away with a satisfactory answer. But I promise you, based on the character of God as revealed in Scripture and the way that I've seen God work good out of even the most evils, that when we stand before God at the end of our lives and we ask him why certain things happen in his life, God will not respond by saying, oh, like I really dropped the ball that day. I'm super sorry. No, God is perfect. God is loving. And so when we are experiencing suffering, there is a reason behind that. And when we stand before the Lord and we ask him why, I promise you that the Lord will be able to respond by saying, my child, let me show you. Ladies and gentlemen, we can trust the Lord even in the midst of suffering. That was kind of a side note. So, <laughs> um, so what I want us to see in this passage is not that when you follow Jesus, everything's going to be great and all your diseases are going to be healed. What I want you to see from this passage is that Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. Jesus brings hope to the hopeless. And this hope is greater than any hope that we may experience in this life. Any hope that we may experience in this life. Everything Jesus did in his ministry, all of the healings, all of the teachings, all of the casting out of demons, all of the craziness that went on in the three years of his ministry was leading to his death and resurrection. You see, nobody was expecting the type of Messiah that Jesus was. I, this may sound boring, but I promise this is super, super exciting. I had to do a paper in one of my classes on messianic expectations, which sounds super boring, and if I'm being honest, it was. But I came away with this really cool thing. I had to study all the different Jewish groups and what they were expecting from a Messiah. And one thing that was true among all of them, because they had some all different crazy expectations, is that they weren't expecting the Messiah that Jesus was. In fact, a lot of them... If you know Jerusalem and the time that Jesus was preaching, Jerusalem was actually under the tyranny of Rome. So Rome had control of Jerusalem, and so a lot of people were expecting the Messiah come, and he's going to be a social liberator, and he's going to throw, overthrow the Roman government, and it's going to be amazing. He's going to be this awesome, like, Hercules-type guy that overthrows the government, and he sets Jerusalem free. But that's not the type of Messiah that Jesus was. In fact, you guys may be wondering why he says, tell no one about this incredible miracle. It's because he didn't want people thinking like, wow, Jesus is here. He's going to overthrow the government. This is going to be nuts. Anarchy. Let's go. That's not why he was here. See, the problem with a lot of these people's expectations was that they were expecting the Messiah to come and relieve temporary sufferings. They were expecting the Messiah to come and do something nice for them in this life. And this is how we often want God to deal with our lives. We want a God to make everything nice and neat, let us live a nice life of wealth and health and all these really nice things, and then we eventually die. But the thing is, Jesus knew that there was a greater issue to deal with. He knew that while it might be difficult in this life to go through the sufferings that we might experience, there was an either greater suffering that was in store for us that he wanted to liberate us from. You see, 
Whether or not Jesus miraculously heals all of our diseases or all of the things that we're experiencing, one day we're going to eventually die. And that might seem a little bit morbid, but it's the actual truth. This is a reality even for the people that we read about today. So Jairus' daughter, she comes back from the dead, but here we are 2,000 years later and this girl has eventually died. Hopefully she led a really incredible life, but she did eventually die. And the same thing happened for this woman with the issue of bleeding. Like she experienced this miraculous healing, but eventually she passed away. And Jesus knew that there was a problem that was far greater for all of humanity than any suffering that we may experience on this earth. And that problem is that when we pass away, when we die, we are going to stand before a holy and righteous God and give an account for our life. We are going to stand before God and answer for the things that we have done in this life. And Jesus knew that because of our brokenness, because of our sinfulness, that all of us have fallen short of the expectations that God had. And so, because he knew that God was just and had to punish us because we fell short of that, Jesus came, he ministered for three years, he did some miraculous healings, he did um, some amazing things, taught us some incredible ways to follow him in this life. But then he went and died on the cross in our place. He went and took the punishment that we deserved. He died the death that we deserve. And so Jesus brought ultimate hope to humanity's ultimate situation. Jesus secured eternity for those who turn to him in faith, who follow him in faith, like we talked about last week. So that when we die and we stand before the Lord and give an account for our life, because of Jesus' death for our sins, dying in our place, we may have eternal life with him. And this is the hope that is the anchor for our souls. That no matter what storms may come in this life, no matter what difficulties we may experience in this life, we have this hope that our eternity is secure because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And now I know what you may be thinking, like, Sean, that's all well and good, that's really nice and, and kind of up here, but what on earth would that mean for my life today? How does that give me hope for my life today? And the answer is because of what Jesus has done for us, because of him dying in our place, all of the promises that God has for his people applies to us. And so when we read through the New Testament and see the incredible promises that are for us in eternity and also for this life, we know that they are true for us. So one of these is Romans 8.28, where it says, for all things will work out for good for those who love God. This is an incredible verse for the Christian. This is an incredible verse for those who are seeking to follow Christ. Knowing that all things work out for my good gives me hope to get through whatever circumstance I may be put through. Because one of those things that we realize in Romans 8.29 is that that good doesn't mean that if you lose your job, there's going to be an even better job waiting for you. That good is defined as us becoming more like Christ, us becoming more like the people that God created us to be. And so whatever trial we may experience in this life, we can ask ourselves the questions, okay, what is the Lord teaching me through this? 
what can I learn from this and how can I grow through this? And that's one of the most beautiful things that gives us hope in this life is that whatever trial we may be experiencing, God is using that to mold us into the person that he created us to be. Another incredible promise that is for us today is that God loves us and forgives us. Our forgiveness that we've experienced through Christ is good for past, present, and future. And so you may be wrestling with sin right now, and you may have fallen into temptation recently, but because of what Jesus has done for us and because of the promises of forgiveness that Jesus has, in fact, tossed our sin as far as the east is from the west, we may know that even when we sin, God's grace covers us. And that allows us to pick ourselves back up and continually pursuing and running after God. And we also know that our eternity is secure. That's one thing that I talked about earlier, but this is one of the most incredible realities of following Christ. Knowing that whatever happens to us, ultimately I will stand before God and be allowed entrance into eternal life because of what Jesus has done. And I don't know about you, but that is hope that can get me through any situation. And so this is what separates Christian hope from any other hope we may have in this world. You see, a lot of times our hope in this world is based upon wishful thinking. We can hope that we get a promotion. We can hope that we have enough uh, money in order to get into retirement. We can hope that we might get married someday or we can hope that our marriage will continue. We can even hope that our kids will eventually uh, lead successful lives. But hope in Christ is greater than any other hope. It's different than any other hope. One of my professors in school gave this incredible analogy when he talked about Christian hope. You see, regular hope is kind of wishful thinking, things that you would like to happen, but Christian hope he defined as an assured expectation of God's promises. That we can look at God's promises and not only hope that they come true, but know that they will come true. He described the promises of God as a present with our name on, un, under it, under the Christmas tree. And so he said, imagine a Christmas tree, imagine a present with your name on it, and here you are a week away from December 25th. You can look at that present and hope that one day you are going to open it, hope that one day it's going to be something that you were really looking for, but you know that a week from now, you will open that present. And so he gave that definition for Christian hope where he said that it is a present that may be a week away, maybe a long time away, but you will open that present. That is not negotiable. And so this is the hope that is for us today. This is the hope that we can experience today in the midst of our trials, the anchor for our souls that holds us steady as the storms of life come. That's all I have to share with you today. I'm going to pray as the band can come back up. Thank you so much for listening. Let's bow our heads and pray and thank the Lord for this hope. Heavenly Father, we love you and we're so grateful for you. Uh, I'm grateful that we can have this assured expectation. We can have this knowledge that you will indeed give us eternal life, that you have forgiven our sins, that you are working out all things for our good. And we trust in that. We hope in that. We live our lives like that. So that may, no matter what may come, we may experience this hope. So thank you for Jesus dying on the cross for our sins in our place. And I pray that we may be able to live our lives with this hope. We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Sean.
Uh, if everyone will stand and sing our last song with us.